What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. Welcome back to another episode. As someone who loves meditating and truly believes in the power of daily meditation, I was so excited to speak to my inspiring guest this week. Tom Cronin is an incredible coach, meditation teacher, author, speaker, and co-creator of the Portal movie and book, who is leading a global movement to inspire 1 billion people to meditate daily. Tom was a finance broker for most of his life and had very little idea what his purpose or calling was in life. He was stressed, anxious, depressed, suffering panic attacks and severe insomnia. At 29, he reached breaking point and was admitted to hospital and diagnosed with a nervous breakdown. It was during this dark time that Tom discovered meditation and began his journey into Eastern philosophy, eventually changing his life's direction completely, becoming a meditation teacher and transformation coach with a passion for helping others discovering the magic of meditation. This episode is such a beautiful one and I know you're going to love hearing all of Tom's learnings and wisdom. Keep listening to discover how Tom first discovered a meditation practice that resonated with him and was able to change the direction of his life, the purpose and practice of transcendental meditation, the effects you may feel when you begin to meditate, the benefits of beginning a daily meditation practice, the importance of learning to meditate correctly, whether through a teacher or via an online tutorial or app the benefits of embracing stillness when our lives are getting a little too overwhelming or busy, how creative ideas and solutions can often come from meditation and quietness, the incredible positive effects of meditation on our physical and emotional selves, the negative effects our increasingly overstimulated lives are having on our creativity and ability to generate new ideas, the relationships between meditation and the law of attraction and so much more. I think you're going to love it. So let's get straight into it. Hi, Tom, and welcome to my podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. I'm so excited to have you on. I have been wanting to get deeper into meditation for quite a while, and you are always on top of my list. So very excited to have you. Before we actually jump in, I would love to ask a question that I ask every single guest, and that is to really look back a little bit on your childhood. What were your dreams for the future when you were a child, and what did you dream about being or doing? Oh, wow. It's amazing to be put on the spot like this. I love it. (laughs) Interestingly, well, it was probably less when I was a little kid, but more in my sort of teenage years, I really got into, you know, Susie and the Banshees and the Smiths and existentialism. And I I was reading a lot of Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus. And I thought I was a bit of a, a romantic sort of existentialist. And I really wanted to write articles for Time magazine, become a journalist and save the world from capitalistic greed. So I was very uh, sort of in this starry-eyed sort of perspective about trying to be a, 
I don't know, some sort of disruptor for the world. And yeah, interestingly, I didn't quite do that. I did apply for journalism at Macquarie University and was supposed to do that, but that got put on hold. And I went ironically down the path of becoming a money broker in the finance industry for 26 years. So it couldn't have been more ironic than that, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, quite the opposite, perhaps. But you have a fascinating and super interesting story. So I would love you to share it. We have listeners from all over the world. So maybe we have some listeners who do not know about you yet. So we'd love to hear your journey. Well, yeah, I mean, it's always a colourful journey and wondering how much I go into it. I mean, to, to save those people who do know it, because it could be a bit monotonous if you've heard it once or twice before but just to continue on from what I just said then I literally was about to go and do a degree at Macquarie University for journalism and I just finished which was quite a common thing back here in Australia back in those days in the sort of late 80s was to take a gap year that's a year off after high school in between university and and literally just grab a backpack and go traveling around the world and working in places in visiting exotic locations and so I did that for a year which was a really big part of my my journey through life and you know just loved walking through rainy cobblestone streets of Paris late in the evening you know with my baguette and a bottle of cheap wine and listening to the faint distant sounds of jazz and all this sort of stuff but when I got back I had no money and uh, I literally just applied for a bunch of jobs in the paper before uni started and it was really interesting back in those days you know you had this big Saturday morning paper where you could apply for jobs and I just wrote off to a number of different places where I could potentially get some work and I wasn't going to tell them that in a few months time I was going to go and do a degree in university hopefully just save some pocket money and I ended up landing a job on a trading room floor and it was a world that I never even knew existed it was quite a phenomenal sort of world that I entered into it was very much like Wolf of Wall Street it was pretty much exactly like that big massive open trading room floor you know hundreds of people, predominantly men, screaming and yelling, a lot of testosterone. And, you know, I was 19 years old and I just was just, it triggered something in me. I was very exciting and very glamorous and they gave me a corporate Amex card and a fancy sports car and I was wearing pinstripe suits and, um, you know, next thing I was making a lot of money and that really just took me down that path that, yeah, it was very hard to turn away from at that point. You know, the further down you, you go, it the deeper in you become because you, you get better at it, you make more money, you get better relationships. And I went further and further into that industry and that career and um, everything that came with it, which was taking a lot of drugs and drinking a lot and, yeah, really becoming very decadent and reckless. And so that's kind of what happened in the first 10 years of my life uh, in that career from 19 to 29. And what was happening over that time was this accumulation of, stress response in my system my body was really starting to show up a lot of symptoms from that particular lifestyle and that was insomnia anxiety I was getting these waves of panic attacks which I I didn't know what they were they were just crippling experiences of dread and fear where I'd be curled up in a ball you know before work or after work uh, a lot of times in the morning and I'd kind of normalized to that being a normal way of living until one day with the culmination of that experience just growing and growing and compounding and compounding over the years when at 29 it really just all came to a a very abrupt halt which was diagnosed by a doctor as a nervous breakdown where my system had become in such a state of disrepair and, and disarray that it was really just falling apart and it was just an uncontrollable mess and they put me in a clinic and I was on medication and seeing psychiatrists and put on suicide watch at the local hospital clinic there. It was a very dark time in my life. And I really was really questioning the willingness to go on. And uh, it was at that time that it was really fortuitous and probably a divine intervention that the universe put me in front of a rather mundane documentary on TV at that time in 1996 and uh, one of the people that they were making the documentary about was was meditating and he talked about meditation and I'd never heard of meditation before. I'd never come across meditation. No one in my life, my family, my friends, my colleagues meditated. It was very unheard of back then and it was like an epiphany for me. It was a, it was a, a moment of this is exactly what I need right now. And that started my journey. I started doing a lot of research into it, you know, going to local meditation centers and ringing around different clinics and centers that offered meditation practices. And and that was really the starting journey for me into Eastern philosophy, meditation, mysticism and spirituality. It's an amazing story. And what do you think got you from 
not knowing if you wanted to get on to actually wanting to do meditation, because I guess it was an obvious choice now. But back then, we didn't have the apps and we didn't have all the, you know, yoga was obviously around, but not as common as it is today. So what do you think got you to actually take that step? Well, it's a really good question because, you know, I did go to a lot of meditation centers in Sydney at the time. Interestingly, a lot of them were quite, let's just pull that word out, woo-woo. You know, there was kind of chakras and not that there's anything wrong with all this stuff and it's become very mainstream now. But back then, and particularly for me as a broker, a lot of it I just didn't resonate with. It was just kind of like a bit out there and it was not stuff that I kind of felt like I, I could embrace on a daily basis. It just wasn't something that I could see myself doing. But then I did come across this one technique. You know, I turned up and the guy was in a suit and he was a doctor. He was a neuroscientist and he talked a lot about the physiology, the science. There was a lot of medical and scientific studies supporting what he was saying. And I really resonated with that language. I think it was the language and the, the, the nature of what he was describing as far as the technique and how it was practiced. When I was listening to what he was saying, it was like an intro talk that night. And I remember driving home thinking, I've been waiting all my life for this. I can't believe this is exactly what I needed to hear right now. One of the main things that really struck me, he was talking about outcome-oriented fulfillment and he was talking about how most people on the planet are looking for an experience or an acquisition to trigger a response in our in our system in the way we feel that would make us feel better. And we're going to always be in that search and that quest to have something because even if we did get that thing that made us feel better, what would happen is the response to, to that acquisition or that experience would fade very quickly and then we'd have to get another thing. And that was like this, it, the first time I'd ever thought of my life that way or seen my life that way. And I realized that that's exactly how I was living, particularly with all the addictions that I had. And so he talked about an alternative to that, which is this self-referred fulfillment that is one that is sustained and experienced regardless of outcomes. And to me, this was like this incredible weight just lifting off me and this lightness just pervaded across my body. And that was the committing point to, to me wanting to sign up. And the course was not cheap. It was a thousand bucks to learn, thousand dollars. And the thing that really validated it was actually when I did learn, it was very instantaneous, the, the difference that I noticed within that first week, I, I noticed significant shifts. And that's why I continued on with that practice. And here I am 25 years later. What meditation was that for those who don't know? Yeah, you know, there's so many different types of meditations. And I think there's, gosh, a couple of apps out there that have like 2,000 different meditations you can do. So this one was called at the time Transcendental Meditation, otherwise known also as Vedic Meditation, and very similar to Deepak Chopra's Primordial Sound Technique. And it's a technique that uses these very ancient, what are called primordial vibrations or sounds that have the capacity to move the mind away from the external stimuli, which is the direction the mind naturally is compelled to move in. That's moving towards something outside of you that will activate some sensation or, or some experience within you. But to move away from that external world into the internal world, away from grossness to subtlety. And what happens when, when the mind does that is that it moves from excitation to de-excitation. And that's the big powerful thing that happens is that you, you start to get into a very de-excited still state. Yeah, I've done that meditation. I actually did a course as well. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But I would love to hear what benefits you saw when you actually started meditating. Obviously going from, I guess, rock bottom in many ways um, to starting to feel good. So what was the benefits that you started to see? To be honest with you, the first week is a little bit uncomfortable, and this is quite common for people that are coming from quite a stressed sort of state. It can be a little bit discombobulating. I think that was the main thing. You know, if you're going to learn to meditate, the whole point of that is that you want things to change and things will change. And sometimes they can change differently than what you expect. So the first week was a little bit discombobulating. It's almost like feeling a little bit unsettled. But the main thing that I really noticed was that that sleep would come on very, very quickly and easily. Like I had chronic insomnia and it would take me, gosh, one to two hours minimum every night to fall asleep because my mind was like a, a racing wheel. But when I started meditating, the ability to fall asleep within five minutes was astounding for me. It was something I'd never experienced for many, many years. And so that happened that week very quickly to the point where a lot of fatigue was coming up and I was just dropping off to sleep, like in places I would never expect, like on the sofa on a Saturday afternoon when I was watching TV, which I could never do in the past. 
So getting sleep and getting a good solid sleep through the night. And then over time, what I found was that a lot of that anxiety and the depression started to lift because my biochemistry started to change. I started to produce more oxytocin, more serotonin, melatonin. I was reducing my cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine. So that sympathetic nervous system biochemistry was starting to be replaced by a parasympathetic nervous system biochemistry, which was very quick as well. And I see this in my students, and that can happen quite quickly for people when they learn this type and other types of meditation as well. So these are the main things, just feeling happier, lighter, less anxious, less responsive, sleeping better, and just generally feeling smoother. I think that was the main thing, feeling smoother through life. Yeah, I can relate to that. I've done yoga for a long time. And you know, there's always a bit of a meditation in that. And I always loved it. But I I kind of never really got into a practice that was sustained or continued on with until I actually did a meditation course. So for so many people who want to start, can you give some advice for the listeners? How do people get started if they wanted to get in deeper into meditation? To be honest with you, I think there's a little bit of trivialization that's going on with meditation at the moment. And that's okay. It's okay that we we have that. It's just part of the process of mainstreaming it. And when I say trivialization, it's it's treating it with some degree of not really appreciating the capacity of what meditation can do for us. It really is, you know, why we call the film and the book the portal. It is the portal through to enlightenment. It's the portal through to the dropping away of ignorance. It's the portal through to a life of blissful, unconditional lovingness. And it doesn't mean you're becoming perfect immediately or ever, but it certainly means that really, if we look at anyone that's really reached levels of enlightenment, you'll see a common denominator that meditation was one of the key ingredients to that. And when it comes to learning to meditate, I think for me, what I recommend to people is if you're going to learn to meditate, ideally start with being all in. When I say all in, learn from a qualified practitioner, learn to do a technique that you're going to be able to embrace on a daily basis. And it doesn't mean there's one technique that you should do. It just means do research to finding one that you're going to learn properly how to do it. You're going to get all the information that's going to be relevant to you learning it and understanding it. And that it's something that you're going to be able to integrate on a regular basis into your life. Because I know a lot of people that do certain practices of meditation, they might be on a retreat or it might be on an app, but it's not something that they feel compelled or can integrate on a daily basis into their life, which means that they're going to find that the stimulation that they can experience on a daily basis and the gravitational pull into relativity is going to deteriorate anything that they achieved out of that meditation very quickly. It's going to erode the effect and the benefits of that meditation. So this is why it needs to be practiced. You know, I literally just came off a 30-minute meditation five minutes before this call. It's just part of my daily experience, like brushing my teeth. It's unconditional, partly because it's just the most blissful and enjoyable thing I can do, partly because it's effective and partly because I learned properly how to do it with a qualified teacher. And I think that that's ultimately the best way. Otherwise, if that's not going to work for you with a qualified teacher, you can't find one, can't access one, can't afford one, then there's just a multitude of meditations out there on YouTube and apps that you can research and find one that you kind of like. Yeah, absolutely. What I loved when I did the training, I think that really worked for me, being a bit of an all or nothing personality, <laughs> I, I found that when we were encouraged to do 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon or at night, when I do put money into a course and I do something, I really want to make the most of it. So I guess that became then a habit for me. And it's interesting because I kind of crave it now. And because I'm away when we're recording this, like nature and meditation and just having that space, just it just makes you feel so much better. So you kind of become like a missing part if you don't do it. If we think about why we do anything that we do, so everyone that's listening today has performed a multitude of activities from brushing your teeth, having breakfast, watching TV or being on your phone, going to work, going to the shopping, walking your dog. And every one of those activities was motivated for the one thing. And they're motivated in the quest to find fulfillment. A lot of it we just do automatically, but we're still doing those actions to achieve a particular state. Otherwise, why would we do anything? So all action is motivated in the quest to find fulfillment of some sort, whether it's temporary or long-lasting. And so there I was as a broker earning uh, multiple, multiple six-figure salary, uh, living in a very 
incredibly beautiful home that I'd built close to Bondi Beach, fancy car, very good career. And all of the boxes ticked in what would be the ideal life, but I was miserable. And so I knew that my activity, even though it's motivated to find fulfillment and I did everything that you'd assume you would do to get fulfillment and I had everything that you'd expect would achieve fulfillment, yet I was suicidal depressed, anxious, panic attacks, insomnia, agoraphobic, and my life was just a misery. So I had to really reassess my allocation of time to activity. And what I found was that if I spent some of my time, just a portion of that time every day, 20 minutes, morning and evening, it still allowed me to compartmentalize a huge amount of my day to doing all the other activities, but it just meant that I was finding a sustainable source of fulfillment, one that arises from deep within. It's not dependent upon an outcome. It's not dependent upon an experience. It's not dependent upon my bank account or my work or someone saying, I love you. And that was the most liberating thing that I could ever come across. And so that's how, when I help my students preframe their set of values, what what are values and what, what motivates you to do what you do in each moment and to start to question whether that's a sustainable source of fulfillment or whether there's an, a much more valuable use of your time to find in fulfillment. And that's when meditation plays a big part. Absolutely. I could not agree more. I uh, have a course called Your Dream Life Starts Here. And then as part of that, we have a little club, it's a bit of a habit club where people choose a habit for 66 days and a habit that will support them working on their dream life. So a lot of people choose meditation, which I absolutely love. But so many people say that they're really struggling or can't do it. So I love to hear your, I guess, view on when people say they can't do it and what they can do about it if there is such a thing as as if you can't do it. Because for me, all meditations are beneficial, regardless if you feel like you didn't do, I don't think there's a good job or a bad job, but, you know, I'd love to hear your opinion about that. Yeah. And, you know, meditation is a technique to give us an experience. And what we're really wanting to put our attention on is, is the experience. And the question is, what is the experience we're looking to have? It's actually looking to have no experience. We're looking to have no experience. We're looking to be no body, to be no thing. The big question is, are you ready for that? Are you ready to surrender your story? Are you ready to surrender your anguish? Are you ready to surrender the idea that you possess things? Are you ready to surrender your dramatic, romanticized history? Are you ready to surrender your attachments to everything and anything? Because this is what's going to happen when we meditate. And it's not that we can't or can meditate. It's whether we have a, a preparedness for that experience. And look, not all meditation is going to get there because some meditations are about putting your attention on getting more of those things, you know, visualizing this and visualizing that and having gratitude for this. So it keeps us in that world of duality and the world of identification with the I. But in the transcending meditation, if I'm finding that my students are struggling to transcend, what we sort of dive into a little bit further is how attached are they to their I? And their I is identified by their possessions, by their experiences, by their stories, by their dramas, by their traumas. And in transcendence, all of that drops away, all of that melts away. So it's not that people can or can't meditate. I would certainly check on what is the technique that you're using? What are the distractions that are getting in the way of you going into that place of silence and stillness? And what is the degree of commitment that you have to making that inward journey into that space and start to really go deeper into the very essence of who you are and ask some of those questions and a lot of people just simply aren't ready for those questions. And what we have currently in the world, yes, there's degrees of this pandemic, but what we also have is an epidemic, an epidemic of distraction. The iPhone is just part of that distraction disease, Netflix, Binge, Amazon, Stan, you know, anything that can withdraw our attention away from going inward into the outer world of, of just entertainment and distraction. Absolutely. So you went from rock bottom which most people who reach the stage you went into will go either way I guess and you know you transformed uh, living an incredible fulfilled life I can relate a little bit to this being a cortisol lover like I'm addicted to cortisol I think and the excitement of life and things that you experience but most people perhaps don't go to that extreme that you did how do they go from perhaps not even knowing that they want that because they are seeking that excitement versus actually 
the opposite, going inwards and go to stillness. If life is a rip-roaring hell, yeah, just keep doing it. You know, there's, it's not like everyone should suddenly meditate tomorrow. It's definitely a great tool to free us from the bondage of suffering, which comes from attachments and expectations in the world around us, the, the world of relativity. It's not that we should be doing that now. It's just that everyone's in their own timeline of researching life, researching truth, researching what is the purpose of this existence. And if it's a rip-roaring hell yeah life that you're living right now, then stick with that. You know, if, if you've got a great job, a great partner, a great family, your great health and life is just, you know, moving along in a really nice way. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I, I wouldn't suggest that you should go and meditate on top of that. But if someone's coming to me and they're not sleeping well, or they've got anxiety, or they've got depression, or they're overwhelmed, or they're in lousy relationships, or they keep doing these same patterns over and over again, then maybe it might be time to explore a different alternative to the current status quo. Yeah, absolutely. The lovely Oprah Winfrey is a meditator as well. And I love her quote, which I have heard you quote before. It's only from that space of the meditation that you can create your best work and your best life. I would love to hear your view on that. Yeah, I would have to agree with Oprah on that one. You know, that space that she's talking about, I like to use this term. It's a Sanskrit word called Turiya. T-U-R-I-Y-A. And Turiya in Sanskrit means the fourth because we have three states that most people currently operate from. One is thinking state, which is all about the I and your, your I, the thinking state is you going about your day and all of your functions and actions are motivated for your ego, for your I, for your personality to get some degree of fulfillment that we talked about before. Then we go into dream state at one point during the evening and that's where the eye still is there, but now you're having sort of random thoughts and we have deep sleep as well, which is an unconscious state. So these three states are the states that most people function in, which is waking state or thinking state, deep sleep, and then dream state. But this fourth state is this state that we access and it's got a number of different words. Turiya is a state, but you know, it could be described as being or presence or awareness or the silent witness or consciousness itself or pure consciousness. Some will call it source or God or divinity. But there's a, there's a degree of watchfulness and consciousness that we have that's beyond a thinking mind and beyond an emotional body. And so we can be in that space. And when we stabilize that, what happens is we operate from a place of pure potential, from a place of wisdom, from a place of lovingness from a place of kindness from a place of selflessness spontaneously it's by default you'll start operating from that space and you'll find that a couple things happen you don't become a perfect human being i still got my challenges and my own personalized egoic sort of tendencies but you definitely tend to find yourself spontaneously becoming kinder more loving more caring than your previous version of yourself not than someone else it's not a competition but more than your previous version of yourself yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I often go away on what I call working retreats. It's not really work because it's what I live and breathe every day. Basically just go away on my own, often sometimes with a friend, but just in nature and being away from the daily things, meditating, walking, eating well and reading and all those kind of things that I love. And it's amazing how many product ideas and how many ideas that I come up with during that time. Some people say, oh, it's so expensive to rent a house for you know a week. But I think that's how I come up with all the ideas for the business. And it's been so incredibly beneficial to have that space. So I could not agree more with being able to create and live your best life from that space. Yeah, you know, quite often I'll find when I'm faced with a problem, I'll find myself drop into the thinking mind, trying to think my way through it. And sometimes I get kind of stuck. I just can't seem to see the solution. And then I have to remind myself, actually, the solution to this problem is not in your mind. The solution to this problem is in the field. And I just have to become the field and allow it to almost come to me. So that's when I start to increase my meditations and have longer meditations. What I find is that quite often the epiphanies and the solutions come and arise out of the quietness. And we hear of a lot of artists that say that it'll be in their sort of most quietest moments that these epiphanies or downloads will just appear to them, you know, out of the blue. So it's not like they're grasping or trying to clamor in their mind to try and find 
something artistic or creative. It just almost emerges in quiet moments. So that's what I find is an important process for me to go through when I'm trying to find solutions to problems. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love you to cover a little bit about the effects from meditation on our physical, mental and emotional parts of our lives. I know that that's a big, big question, but maybe just a little snippets of each just for us to all kind of get as much knowledge and inspiration to start meditating. I think physically, in a course that I run on weekends, I've got one this weekend actually on Zoom, and I talk a lot about the body and it kind of surprises people when they come in that course because they think they're getting a spiritual practice or a mindful practice. But the technique that I practice and teach uh, focuses a lot on the physiology because that's kind of like ground zero for your existence. If your body is not in a good shape, if it's not a well-structured, well-balanced, well-maintained, well-hydrated, operating efficient and effectively, then no matter what, no matter how spiritual you are, then you're not going to have a great experience of life because this is the portal to this, this domain, this dimension. And so physiologically what happens when we meditate is there's a, an incredible reorganization that happens in your physiology. We move out of the sympathetic into the parasympathetic nervous system. And in that short window of time, 20, 30 minutes of meditating, there's an incredible restoration, optimization, renovation that happens in the body where a lot of anomalies start to correct themselves because there's an innate intelligence for the body to start to heal itself. And this is what the parasympathetic nervous system does. It's a system that's designed to give you the most optimal experience in life. And we do everything we can in our world as I look around in, in our lifestyles these days to work against that natural tendency by putting you know, toxic food and toxic habits, toxic lifestyle into our bodies and, and cause disrepair and disease. And yet our body has the capacity to operate really quite remarkably. So, you know, we'll see things like, you know, diabetes, cholesterol, gut disorders, you know, digestive disorders all start to correct themselves quite quickly when people start meditating on a regular basis. So physiologically, we see a lot of changes happening, blood sugar levels, um, blood coagulation, all of that starts to reorganize and normalize itself. On a brain function level, what we find is the brain has left and right hemisphere and these two cortexes are for creative and analytical thinking. But we also have this sort of frontal lobe of the brain and rear lobe of the brain, which is the rear being the reptilian brain and the front being this sort of very intuitive, cognitive, creative and sort of the wise sort of thing. That's why we have a lot of images of the third eye there. That's a very profound part of the brain. But when we're stressed, we get a contraction of the, that frontal lobe and we get just the very primal part of the brain starting to operate. But when we go into meditation, we see the whole brain becoming very coherent there's a beautiful coherence in the brain we get this expansion of brain capacity and that's that sort of space that oprah is talking about as well so it's very powerful for enhancing brain functionality and then on the biochemical level it's it's very very significant because we see a reduction in cortisol adrenaline norepinephrine and we see increases in melatonin serotonin oxytocin that's the biochemicals for sleep happiness and love and, you know, particularly oxytocin, this is the big one, because one of the things that we're driven for a lot in our lives or motivates us a lot in our lives is this quest to find love. And the irony is that if we're stressed and in the sympathetic nervous system state, the body's got this sort of protective mechanism and it's trying to protect you from danger. It's the number one primary objective in the body that survival will be the key driving force behind everything, particularly if the body feels that there's a threat to survival. And so the sympathetic nervous system will get activated. And what happens in that state is that it's a, a fight flight scenario where you either fight in battle or you run like crazy. And in either of those two options, the one thing you don't want is oxytocin in your blood. That's the biochemical for love, which gives you feelings of empathy, compassion, kindness, tenderness, lovingness. Because if you're going particularly into a battlefield, feeling empathy and compassion for an enemy that you might have to kill to protect you from danger isn't very conducive. So the body shuts that down in a stress response. And this is causing a massive deterioration in our relationships in the world because we're just devoid of love or the sensation of love. And it's been proven scientifically that we produce more oxytocin when we meditate and reduce cortisol and adrenaline. So we can't be stressed and feel lots of lovingness. <laughs> we can't be in battle and feel lots of lovingness. And when we're calm and peaceful, we, as a byproduct of that, start to feel 
greater degrees of lovingness. So we have enhanced relationships, better relationships, improved relationships as a result of that. Yeah, I could not agree more on that. Some really amazing benefits um, on every aspect, the physical, mental, and emotional. So another reason to get into meditation. I love to talk about something that I heard you speak about and something that I often think about, and that is the loss of the gaps. So for us who are a little bit older, <laughs> we had a lot of gaps before the iPhone arrived, which meant that we had those times between things where we were waiting or you know if you were at the doctors or the bus stop or whatever it was like I see a lot of people at the airports all staring at the phones you know when I pick up my kids from school they're all you know heads down in their phones so what does that mean do you think for the people which is all of us now me included the loss of the gaps in terms of having those moments in between which I think is like mini meditations in between our you know hectic lives I think we're going to look back in generations to come and rue that moment where those precious gaps of just space were taken out of our daily lives because so much is born out of that. You know, the one thing I used to try to get my kids to a particular point of boredom because when we get bored, then we get creative. Boredom is, is the engine for creativity. And these days, unfortunately, you can never be bored ever again. No one gets bored anymore. And boredom played an important role. Uh, it allowed us to think, okay, there's a little window of time where boredom opens up a spontaneous reaction to what can I do now? You know, even just being able to acknowledge and accept being in a position where there's nothing you can do, like in a waiting line somewhere, getting your car registration or something, and to just simply be. And not that we'd be meditating back then, some maybe, some maybe not, but it allowed us just windows of time to simply just be. And we've, we've lost that. We've filled that gap in now with our phones and myself included is, is part of that. You know, I, I literally have about eight different messaging platforms that my clients, my team and potential clients will message me on uh, from Instagram to Facebook to Voxer to WhatsApp and so on. There's no more windows of me just, you know, I, I force them on myself because, you know, after this call, I'm about to go for a walk down this country lane on my parents' farm and I'll leave my phone behind. Sometimes I'll even take it. And this is the challenge is that, you know, because we've got a few followers, I feel compelled to want to share that journey with them. And so my phone comes with me a lot just to, as a part of a sharing facility, but it still hijacks my ability to just simply be in those moments. So I have to be very mindful myself as well. Yeah, absolutely. I would love for you to cover some tips when it comes to meditation for law of attraction. I have heard you speak about that and it's obviously another big topic. It's really quite fascinating when you think about it through kind of a meditation lens versus just the words laws of attraction. You know, it's, it's really tricky being in that space to attract what it is you want because quite often we don't know what it feels like if we haven't experienced it. We normally wait till we're experiencing something because we're always in the law of attraction. We're always doing law of attraction. The problem is that we get a sensation that's a response to situations and circumstances that triggers a feeling sensation in our body, which emits like a frequency out to the universe, which activates a reciprocation based upon that feeling level of like, like experience. And so if we have, a, let's just say we're abused at a young age and we have this feeling of anger or hatred, we emit that frequency out to the world and then we start finding that we, we keep entering into situations that manifest in the end result of more anger and more hatred. Why do I keep getting into these situations or how do I keep manifesting this? And vice versa, wealthy people, they, they feel wealthy, they feel abundant and they just manifest situations that create and manifest more wealth and more abundance. And it's very difficult to reverse this pattern if there's a pattern we want to reverse because... We have to start feeling something that's not in a response to our circumstances, but it's preempting our circumstances. Now, this is where things get really interesting. When we start feeling sensations in our body that are preempting the circumstances, knowing that we're going to attract those circumstances, then we start attracting those circumstances, which correspondingly activates a new response based upon those circumstances. So 
meditation allows us to start to observe what feeling am I experiencing? So this is that fourth state we talked about, Turiya, the watchfulness of your consciousness. So your consciousness is now watching your thoughts and watching your feelings rather than being your thoughts and being your feelings. So this fourth state allows you to observe. And then from observation, you can start to be proactive and sovereign in the state that you want to feel. And when you start to feel that, and you can do it through your meditations, at the end of your meditation, start to almost visualize and feel the sensation of that actually having been played out. Now, the thing that happens here is it takes quite a while for the physical world to catch up to those sensations. There's a lot of activation that needs to happen, a lot of mechanics, a lot of moving parts that have to all fall into place. And it can take weeks, months, years before we see things unfolding and coming into fruition. And quite often, a lot of us, what happens is we don't have the patience or we default back to our old patterns and our old sensations that we're familiar with. And then we start to go back into the same attraction process and see, oh, it doesn't work. There you go. This is a waste of time. And then we just default back into our own cycles. So interesting. I Absolutely, because I always encourage people to think about who do I need to become and what do they need to feel. And I just absolutely love it and truly believe in it because that's how I think most of my things that I make happen comes that way. So, yeah, fascinating topic. So I could speak for hours about that. But um, as we are coming to a close, I love, can you just give a little high-level information about how people can get support through you in terms of the Stillers project and courses, etc. Yeah, I think the best place these days to go to is the Tom Cronin website, tomcronin.com and Tom Cronin Instagram, probably my two main platforms. And from there, they can find out about the Stillness Project. They can find out about the film and the book, The Portal. They can find out about my meditation workshops and the coaching that we run, the retreats that we hold. So everything will be pretty much on those two locations, mainly on my website, tomcronin.com. Fantastic. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. I would love to finish off asking a few quicker questions. If you could give one piece of advice to the next generation to help them live their dream life, what would you say? Meditate more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) An obvious one, hey? Yeah. Fantastic. I love morning routines and I I love getting up early and I love my space in the morning. But I love to actually ask you about the night routine as well because I know that that has a massive impact on your sleep. So if you could just maybe share what you do for sleeping well and also um, if you have a morning routine. Yeah, I think night routines and morning routines are really important. I've got two 19-year-old kids, they're twins, so my night routine is not as ideal as I would like it to be, but it is ideal, I guess, because I'm living it, but I like to be up a little bit later than I'd prefer. So my my traditional night routine would be, you know, preparing for bed sort of around nine o'clock, and uh, that would be pairing as far as, you know, your shower and brushing your teeth and getting everything out of the way logistically, and then ideally turning lights off and having a candle and then doing some stretching maybe some gentle breathing. I tend to have my meditation in the early afternoon or early evening rather than at nighttime before bed, but sometimes I'll do a meditation before bed. But I like to just do some gentle stretching and breath work and then some reading, some gratitude, and really just being in a really nice mindset, turning down any Wi-Fi, phones, stimulation, electronics, overhead lighting, just have really soft lighting or candle lighting to prepare the nervous system for that sleep mode. And then when I wake up, I like to wake up quite early, ideally around sort of five-ish. If I get to bed on the time I'd like to go to bed, then I like to actually do exercise quite early in the morning. Uh, It's when I have a burst of energy. So I like to sort of get up and if it's cold, I'll do some stuff at home, some stretching and some exercises, some plank and abs and squats and stuff. If, If it's not too cold or I get out of the house, I'll go to the gym or go for a run just to get that burst of energy cleared out of the system then I like to come back and meditate and then do some journaling I really find journaling and gratitude is a really big part of the day to start the day getting clear on the visions the goals the routine for the day love that that sounds like the most perfect evening and morning routine and very similar to mine actually I love it I am such an avid reader so I'm always interested in hearing about your favorite book and why and I know that that's a difficult question if you I know that you read quite a lot as well so have you got one that you can recommend yeah there's so many good books isn't there it's always hard to pull one when you just want to recommend 10 or 15 
the one book that I find was probably one of the most impacting, I mean, there's been so many, but I really find Emmanuel's book by Pat Rodgast is just so powerful yet so simple. I, the, what I love about this one and why it stands out so much amongst all the other books is the simplicity yet the potency of it, those two things, simplicity and potency. It's a very easy book to read, but it's every page. It's just nuggets of gold on every page that really stays with you, I think, for a lifetime. So it's very hard to find book. And on, it's, I think it's on Amazon, but it's called Emmanuel's Book. And it's by Pat Rodgast. It's really just channeled information from an ascended being. I would love to know you, have you got a favorite Kiki K product or a favorite stationary product apart from your own? I think just planners, wherever you can find them, notebooks, anything that you can journal on are just really, really great to use. And you've got some amazing books there for, for people to use to just get your thoughts out of your head. It's amazing how you can have so much going on in your head, but as soon as you put pen to paper, it totally changes things. So planners, diaries, notebooks, journals, they're all really, really um, useful, I find. Absolutely. I think thinking on paper just makes it yeah, much simpler because sometimes getting it out of our head just simplifies things. So, yeah, so thank you for sharing that. I want to ask one more question before the last one, only because at this current stage, you are obviously in Sydney right now, lockdown, and there is, you know, lockdowns all over, <laughs> all over the world and obviously a bit of a suffering. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who is suffering for whatever reason? You know, we all deal with the lockdowns in different ways. So this will just be a generic one where you, what kind of advice would you give for anyone who's suffering right now? Yeah, it's a difficult time and I actually think it is going to continue to get difficult for time ahead uh, as we go through a very important transition out of a very old, well-established status quo that we've been in for a long time into a very new era. It's a very different world that we're going to be entering into. It's a much more conscious, kind, caring and integrated world. But for that to happen, a lot of the old systems have to start to drop away. We talk a lot about this in my group coaching how to be a leader in this new world that's a, that we're entering into. But for those that are suffering right now, I've got a beautiful picture on my wall at home that is a, a photo of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and it's a quote of his who was a great sage and saint. He says, no one needs to suffer because there's an ocean of bliss in everyone. And that bliss is it's within us. It's, it's the state of consciousness of being and Regardless of our circumstances, of course, the more extreme the circumstances, the more it's going to affect us. But we do have this capacity to stabilize within us over time and with, with a practice and with patience. A beautiful divinity and blissfulness and lovingness that arises from within us. It's not something we attain or extract from the world outside of us. It's something that's innate. And we're just so distracted from that inner essence. And it's time for us to start to reclaim that beautiful lovingness that's within us, that beautiful blissfulness that's within us. And meditation is just the portal that's going to get us into that state and into that experience. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. Knowing what you know now, what kind of advice would you give yourself, say, when you're in your late teens, knowing what you know now, considering your extraordinary journey and, you know, there's silver linings in all of that, what kind of advice would you give yourself? invest a whole lot more in property. <laughs> it's just like I look back and think, what was I thinking? If I'd only known that the property market would do what it's doing these days, I just should have just been a lot more savvy investor if only I'd known that. And buy Bitcoin when I was offered it to me at $5. <laughs> I love that though. It's so true, but you know. Yeah, you know, in hindsight, you know, when I was a broker, everything was just short-term crazy investments. And I'm trying to teach my children to invest undramatically and to invest for 50 years, don't invest for two years, don't invest for five years, invest for the next 50 years and have a think about where you'll be and what that investment will look like in 40 or 50 years. And it's, it's really interesting when you start getting your children to think that way, because no one ever taught me that and I wish they did. If I, if I thought about things that way, it would be a very different outcome now. So definitely, I think that's a, a smart thing to do is to not get caught in what society is trying to get you to do. And that's to just spend lots of money on things that you don't need to try and get fulfilled. It's just not going to work. But I think People say you shouldn't regret things. And of course you do regret things, no matter I think how conscious you are. I'm like, there's a lot of things that I, I've hurt people and I've done things that I kind of wish I could raise that from my experience and other people's experience of life. It would have been a lot better for everyone. But I also 
believe that the experiences I've had have been important to forge me like the horseshoe that has to go into the furnace, not just go into the furnace and get molten hot, but then it has to get the shit bit out of it by a hammer. And I kind of think that maybe that's just what I had to go through to get molded into a particular state of being, which is who I am today. And maybe that was all relevant. So sometimes I get a bit contemplative and I don't give necessarily the best spiritual answer, which was it's all perfect and it was what it was. Sometimes I'm like, you know what, it'd be better if some of those things didn't happen. (laughs) But um, looking back, if I could talk to my younger self, I just say, just remind myself, it's going to be okay, dude. You don't need to stress and worry as much as you do. It's going to work out okay. Great advice and perfect ending to this incredible conversation. Thank you so much for taking your time to share all this with us and also for all the amazing things you are doing to make the world a better place. really truly appreciate it and encourage everyone to go to your website and perhaps dig a little bit deeper into the most beautiful world of meditation so thank you very much that's great to be here thanks for such wonderful questions always wonderful to share this sort of space with you here thank you thank you wow i just loved speaking with tom and hearing his story and how meditation and mindfulness has truly changed his life as well as the benefits of embracing it in our daily lives. And I can personally say that meditation has helped me feel stillness and quiet even during some of the most difficult times in my life. I meditate daily and have done courses to learn lots of different techniques as well. It really is something you need to practice regularly to feel the benefits. So I really encourage you to explore what works for you. Our life has become so full and meditation is a wonderful way to take a small break from it each day and reset. Just by being mindful each day, taking in our surroundings and connecting with our emotions is something we should all do more of. I hope you have enjoyed this episode as much as I have and if you have, and if you have been inspired to make positive changes in your own life after listening to this episode, I would love you to join my private Facebook group for your Dream Life podcast. So you can share and learn with a group of like-minded dreamers. We have so many more inspiring guests just like Tom lined up in the coming months. So please remember to subscribe so you don't miss any. And don't forget to tell us what you thought by leaving us a review. I love hearing from you and I'm so grateful for all the comments. If you want to see more what's happening in my world, you can always follow me on Instagram at Christina Kikike. And in the episode, I also spoke about the 66 Days Habit Challenge Club. If you want to join that, you can just go to yourdreamlifestartshere.com. I will add the link in the show notes as well. Until next time, I hope you give meditation a try. And as always, don't forget to dream big.